Namaste. Today we take up for Mother's birthday a leaf from the mother's life. And it's documented in our prayers and meditations, which we know is basically, if we look at the prayers and meditation from one angle, it is the deepest, inmost core of the mother's life. So there are three levels at which we live. One is the outer life and we know that a lot of things have been written on Sherbindo's life, less on mother's life and the reason is mother's life is far more complex. If you really look at the mother's life, you cannot just put it into this category, that category, even in terms of her accomplishments. It's amazing. The kind of complexity she has in her nature naturally, one and yet many-sided even the gods cannot understand her changing of moods. All this is beyond human comprehension. So in a way, it's a blessing that not much has been written on mother's life because it's next to impossible to write on the life of the Divine Mother who shares the life of all her creatures. This is what we are going to say. See, the second level at which we all exist is our inner being. So outer being is what everybody sees. It's your outer nature, your behaviors, your outer personality, etc., etc. But there is an inner being in which there is a constant shuffle going on between different kinds of, you know, forces of thoughts, feelings, suggestion, will, impulses. Uh, even most human beings are not aware of their own inner being because, you know, it needs a certain degree of development to become conscious of this inner being. Whereas Shabindra says, inner being is the real man. And then there is the inmost being, the psychic life of a human being. Nobody can write the psychic life unless you, have, you are given that access. So if you really look at some of these stories in the Srimad Bhagavad Puran, so there is an attempt by the seers to write about the psychic life of Sri Krishna. For example, there is a very famous incidence and that we will see how it connects. You know, if you read, if you read it in the Srimad Bhagavad Puran, we find it a kind of, you know, exaggeration. So what is that event? It seems that Sri Krishna takes a little bit of mud and keeps in his mouth, part of his Balila. And Mahayashoda, like any other mother, wants him to take it out. You, It's not a good thing to take. And Sri Krishna, uh, she forces him to open the mouth. And when he opens the mouth, she sees it's not just a bit of matter, but the entire material universe. So that little matter, see it's a very symbolic story which goes at many levels, that all matter, the entire material universe is within him. Now ordinarily, a, you know, outer mind will say, how is it possible? But there is a state of consciousness in which you are not in the creation, but the creation is within you. There is a, um, a beautiful experience of the mother which she documents in the agenda where she sees her vast body in which the universes are there. Not just one universe, but the universes. And she even describes, she says that I saw where the ashram is. So where is the ashram? She, she draws a diagram between the navel and this side on the right side. You know, more or less for, for medical doctors, we know it's like the appendix. She says it's here, near the womb. Then she says, she describes a very special formation though. It is surrounded by this kind of light, a kind of protecting light. So all this the mother describes in vivid detail about location of the ashram, which she says is a very, very special formation which exists within her own vast body. 
Same with Shurabindu speaks about his own Visharupa. And when Shurabindu was asked, Oh, how's your Visharupa? Is it as like Sri Krishna? He says, much less frightening or intimidating. <laughs> then he gives jokingly that, uh, you know, when it is described with Sri Krishna, he says, the uh, what is that? Dant, between the teeth and the jaws, he says, all the Yodhas and the warriors, he says, no, no, no. That was a special reason why Sri Krishna at that point of time, that was the Vishwarupa. So Vishwarupa is not something fixed. It is something which is constantly, because it's, the whole world is undergoing a change. And that's how the mother says that when you are conscious of the whole world at the same time, then you can become conscious of the divine. So all these things which normally, ordinarily people read in books and they believe or not believe, it's up to them. Now the beauty of the mother's um, prayers and meditation, of course we know it's a document which gives us bhakti, true bhakti. It also shows us the path. It awakens in us and inspires us to find the divine. It gives us the way. But also there are in this document certain rarest of rare experiences so in that sense, it's like the Veda. One of the experiences of the mother on 20, um, in November, I think 24th November, 25th, 6th November, 26th November, when she's in um, uh, Tokyo, she experiences that she goes from layer to layer and uh, then <coughs> suddenly she's in identification with the earth consciousness, goes up, up, up and then finally she goes beyond creation and there's a huge column of light. And then subsequently she describes how she comes back step by step. And if you read that uh, whole thing, you will uh, feel that it is like going beyond, you know, Sheshnag holding the earth and then she goes further. When Shurabindu, she asked, uh, tells Shurabindu about this experience. So Shurabindu says, yes, it's a pure Vedic experience, but even modern Vedantins would not accept or agree to it. Because nobody imagines today that earth can unite with the divine. It's an impossibility. Earth means not just human beings, but the material principle. So here we have this experience of the mother, which shows it's a prelude of what is going to come. Like the Bal Leela of Sri Krishna, but the difference is that Sri Krishna did not himself write his Bal Leela, but Sears who saw it. Or the Bal Leela of Lord Rama, similar we have in Rama's Bal Leela, where you know... Um, Kak Bhushundi wants to find out, is he really God? So there are many interesting Bal Leelas of the great divine beings. Even Christ, we have a Bal Leela. So here we have Bal Leela of the mother, but directly in her own words. So it has a very, very special significance. And uh, as we know, the mother did not uh, write all this for people to read. So we must understand that she is not telling others that what she had experienced. For a long, long time, this diary just remained with her. And she describes that it is Shorabindo who insisted that I publish it because it will help people. And then too, four-fifths of the diary has been given away to fire. She didn't want people to know what she is experiencing within. So, but these are the pages which are left. But we are so fortunate to have this particular one. And this is a, a part of the prayers and meditations and this is uh, dated February 22nd, 1914, where she describes an experience and how it will evolve. Even experiences evolve. In the beginning, we have something like a glimpse and then it evolves into a full-fledged realization. February 22nd, 1914, when I was a child, 
you know sometimes when mother speaks i feel so beautiful imagine the divine mother put yourself in that situation one for whom the world even the gods are her children she says at one place even the gods are her children when shubhinda was asked once about christ somebody saw in a vision that jesus christ is in the lap of the mother and he asked that what does it mean he says of course he is my child then there is another one where krishna in her lap somebody asked about brahma has created this world so uh, this is what we are told he says yes but shubhinda must have told you that even brahma is my child and now this divine mother is telling us when i was a child see this is the beauty and i am i can't help uh, i am reminded of one of the bhajans of um one of the re- one of the modern mystic poets not modern but the medieval period so he he sings like this dekhi sakhi dekhi sakhi mohe achraj aave brahma anadi anand agochar so ab nand ko lal kahave so he's saying that you know my friend i am filled with amazement when i see this vision what is this vision he who is infinite before beginning beyond beginning brahma anadi anant agochar whom you cannot see and cannot perceive he is now called as the child of nand talking about krishna now you see this is the beauty of the divine becoming human this is the period of time she is describing the age of 13 now this is a period of time when how her own physical mother would be treating her and the mother has described many of her experiences during this age outwardly outwardly she would see say you have a tendency to go into trance she didn't use the word trance she said again you are gone off what's wrong with you that's how she would end the mother would come back and she would smile said she obviously didn't understand but during that time look at her inner life when i was a child about the age of 13 and for about a year every night as soon as i was in bed how does the divine sleep what happens during his sleep it seemed to me that i came out of my body and rose straight up above the house then above the town very high incidentally this is like a meditation she later on would tell people that when you are besieged by trouble when there is a problem when the circumstances are difficult imagine the boundlessness of space and contemplate the endlessness of time it will free us because we are stuck in a little small moment this is happening that is happening but when we contemplate the vastness of space which is still expanding this is at one place to Uh, in a conversation with disciples say, try 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 and see what happens because when you enter into that vastness everything dissolves of course we have a tendency of coming back to this state and incidentally this experience she is describing around the same time she describes another place uh, an experience that uh, between the age of 9 and 11 she in her body sleep she used to get see many masters who were coming to her from the past many beings of different worlds and they would come and teach her something while her body was in a state of uh, not sleep but a kind of yoga yoga nidra spontaneous among them there was one being with whom she formed a more stable permanent relation and she would identify him as krishna 
much later he would see the krishna in her vision and she says when she came here and she saw shurbindo she knew that he is the krishna whom she was experiencing in her life so this is after even that see that was in the age of 9 to 11 and now this is at the age of 13 what is she experiencing it seemed to me that i came out of my body and rose straight up above the house then above the town very high she had not learned yoga then she had not gone and met a master see we read the life of masters who have gone to himalayas taken diksha learned a technique or something this is she is born with this shurbindo spoke about the mother and said mira is born free she was already free even in savitri we were reading the other day a natural mastery that free natures have so that's what is her state and then what did she see when she went high above i saw myself then clad in a magnificent golden robe longer than myself and as i rose that robe lengthened spreading in a circle around me to form as it were an immense roof over the town at one place when shurbindo was asked about you know uh, this world or imperfection in human beings outer nature he said that way if you see even the divine is imperfect because outer nature material universe is the outer robe of the divine so here we see her outer robe is itself a golden robe she has brought with her that supramental consciousness which is surrounding her but initially it goes and spreads over the um, town in that little circle then i would see coming out from all sides men women children old men sick men unhappy men they gathered under the outspread robe imploring help recounting their miseries their sufferings their pains this she knew even as a child and when people asked her mother is it okay to approach you when we have a needless for example of the body she said why not just as you can approach me to remove a moral defect why can't you approach me for physical illness and then in one of her conversations she says that how the divine mother looks upon life she says she does not judge she does not condemn she just sets right because that is herself in another form she doesn't look at it like me and you it's myself in another form so all these beings who are suffering are coming to her and uh, she is not asking thank god these things are not very popular otherwise people will flock i am a sick man <laughs> heal me <laughs> well of course there are many sides to it and we are not getting into that but um, she would see these people coming but you know this is one way that you touch this person touch that person touch that person but she has come for something deeper to the source of misery it's all right that in a physical life she will cure many people or there is a shrine where people will come and uh, get healthy and go away many may many may not but what about the source of suffering so she will come to that they gathered under the outspread robe imploring help recounting their miseries their sufferings their pains in reply so it is her outermost being itself can do it the robe of her nature that itself has that power to correct all these things you see like ganesha born out of the washings of the divine mother so just the robe now this is uh, of course she is recounting an inner experience 
But can we imagine now what it means something touched by the mother? A piece of a sari, a thread from a sari. <laughs> Do we understand what it means? So this he is experiencing the robe. And as soon as they touched it, they were consoled or healed. And entered back into their body happier and stronger than they had ever before coming out of it. So this here, you know, the mother speaks once about the samadhi. She says, I see thousands of people coming and pouring out there. And Shubhindu replies to each one of them. He does not ask, are you a devotee? That we ask at the gate. Are you an ashramite? Are you a devotee? Are you this? Are you that? But there... Shubhinder doesn't ask all this. <laughs> you have come, Bolinath. She says, anybody, even a casual visitor going around the samadhi is touched by the supramental vibration. So, you know, you just have to go around. She says, I see it happening all the time. He has become so accessible. So, this is the action that she was just giving. At one place, uh, she uh, mulls over when somebody t- tells her about the God in Tirupati who is, you know, gives everybody blindly whatever they ask. So mother says, uh, she smiles and says, ah, that's interesting. She doesn't say anything. <laughs> ah, that's interesting. She didn't. You know, you feel that point of time, she is holding back a deep truth. She's not making a comment. She is silent after that. What she probably, this is my own feeling when I read that, she meant to say, yes, I do the same thing on a much different and deeper way. She would not say that. <laughs> but thank God, <laughs> we don't have deluxe darshan, special darshan, all that. <laughs> so she, she just listens to it, feels amused and says, Ah, I see, huh? a God who gives everything. <laughs> That's all. Silence after that. So here she is describing it. They would come and touch it. And they would go back into the body stronger than they were before. Now, this is something which she explains much later. When somebody asks her that when we are fatigued, when we are sick and we ask you for your force, what happens? She says, three times is given to you. And then she explains. First, to get rid of the illness. Second, to restore your balance. And third is to go back to the roots of the possibility of illness so that the necessary transformation can take place. So, but we don't experience, he says, that's what my children, you just throw it off. It is given to you, but you throw it off. You need, you need, one needs to be quiet inwardly to receive and assimilate it. Most of us don't even receive it. Throwing out is much later because we are not receptive. And for receptivity, we need to have the need and the sense of giving. Here they came to her with need. So they were receptive. When you go to the divine with a need, then you are automatically open. So they have gone with this need and receive and go back. So many such things he has done, even making a passage for in the vital world. For one year she was doing this in, the, you know, Tlemcan where passage for the dead. So she says these are the works which she came to do and no one even knows about these things. I mean, of course, within the ashram context and the devotees know about it. But just imagine... So casually she is speaking about it. And then she says, Nothing appeared to me more beautiful. Nothing made me more happy. And all the activities of the day seemed to me dull and colorless. Without real life, 
in comparison with this activity of the night which was for me the true life who can write about her life then this is a true life she is herself saying outer life was dull colorless now you see it's very interesting in synthesis shubhendra says among the many relations we can form with the divine one of them is of a child with the mother and then he says the child soul goes to the divine mother in all its troubles and difficulties and he adds further and the divine mother wants it to be so so that she can pour so that she can indulge and pour her heart of love on her children she likes to do it just imagine imagine if a child never asks her mom or his mom mom i like this can you do this for me moms feel useless isn't it they feel without jobless <laughs> my child doesn't ask me and the day child asks see what happens even when you love someone you know this how so here she is saying this activity gave me so much joy so much happiness she loves to give she doesn't want to okay let me see whether you are a let me scan your personality see what kind of a person you are nothing she loves to give and pour her heart often as i thus rose i would see on my left an old man silent and immobile who looked at me with a benevolent affection and encouraged me by his presence see it's very this one of those very interesting cryptic things this old man dressed in a long robe of somber violet was the personification i knew later of him who is called the man of sorrows see this term will come in savitri man of sorrows who is the man of sorrows is described in savitri in madona of suffering mother of grief grief divine when she describes the echo in the human heart oh i am made for suffering there are people who believe they are meant for suffering god has created me so that he can punish me and make me suffer god has created suffering so that we can worship him they believe in the cult of suffering they believe in punishments they believe in you know all kinds of suffering that this has been rightly created they even ask for suffering so this is the man of sorrows so why is he encouraging her because she knows ek qadardan hai there is somebody who really needs he knows he is the he is the um, the asura of suffering who is behind all this he speaks of the four original asuras and she says since my childhood they have been with me one way or the other and even in the inner physical life they would come near her why because they had to be changed so these four asuras we know is the asura of death and we have the asura of falsehood and the asura of uh, darkness unconsciousness or darkness and the asura of suffering so what does the asura of suffering does even if there is something happy the asura of suffering will say what is there life is not good it is sad it will show you that little spot on a spotless shirt it will be like a hostile voice critical voice telling you you are wrong you are bad everything is bad it constantly shows you gives you reasons to suffer that's its job 
to gives you all the time some reason or the other for suffering so people you know when whenever in life we are afflicted all of us go through uh, you know difficult situations when suffering may come that is the time to remember yes okay there may be some suffering now but life is not only about suffering there are so many beautiful things and this too will pass away so this man of sorrows is very happy you know it's beautifully described in savitri when narad comes close to earth and as he came the asuras wept with joy knowing their end near for which they had hoped so this man of sorrows comes in his violet somber robe and says oh she has come now i have hope to be relieved and released so now see she is not only acting upon these human beings the mother's work is not just confined to a handful of people in the ashram or devotees or in the world the four asuras who have to be converted this is part of one of her work because as long as they continue to live as long as they continue to influence mankind then they will create life as hell so at one point she was asked also why don't you just go and annihilate them suffering and unconsciousness had long back accepted conversion this may be one of those moments when they accepted the conversion these two asuras but death and falsehood were resisting no end so now you see what happens is she somebody asked her why don't you just crush them you are all powerful she said yes but people harbor them inside themselves so if i finish them many this earth will collapse falsehood where it is not the attraction to death where it is not every time we'll say oh i think <laughs> you know better i die in our thoughts we are entertaining this asura she says if i kill him much of life that exists by it will be finished and out of her compassion she is telling them why don't you change why don't you change there is a better way of living you can live happily you can live beautifully so here is this one of the asuras so this is a very landmark event when he comes and he sees and he is happy now you see this this is the interesting part that he is looking at her with a benevolent affection ah she is feeling where he is feeling very fond of her and he is very benevolent towards her now now this is the experience he had as child so what we see in this experience the divine mother in a cosmic consciousness looking after all her creatures in a very small way those who came to her she was helping them that's what we could see at that point of time that whoever came to her she helped them and she didn't need anything much just her outer consciousness was enough to help them this what we see in this as an action and one of the action we see also is to go to the roots of the misery and annihilate suffering this we see here but then when she grows what happens now the profound experience the almost ineffable reality is translated in my brain by other notions which i can define thus so this early experience changes you see in shri krishna's life same thing is happening this experience of the material universe being within his mouth is seen by mother yashoda much later on the battlefield of kurukshetra you see the same experience but on a mega scale through a divyadrishti given to arjuna so she says ki that used to be when i was a child of 13 now this is 1914 so 78 88 98 how many years 36 years of age okay can you imagine what people do at 36 years of age and what is her experience at 36 years of age now look at this 
she has not yet met Shirobindo. And people have the audacity to say that the mother is a disciple of Shirobindo. Shirobindo had to correct it. The mother is not a disciple of Shirobindo. She had her own experiences. In fact, she says he says that she entered to the supermind through the straight door. But who is she then? She is my spiritual collaborator. So now she is giving that experience as it is manifesting now. This is also before they have started the new creation and everything. Many a time during the day and in the night, it seems to me, now it is happening throughout the day and night. Earlier it is at night when she has withdrawn her consciousness from the world. Now it has come into the outer being. It seems to me that I, that is to say my consciousness is wholly concentrated in my heart, which is no longer an organ, not even a feeling, but the divine love. So this as a child which you know she is experiencing is divine love taking this form as the power to heal. This incidentally is one of the twelve powers she wants to bring to earth. One of them is gift of tongues. Another is the power to heal, heal, perpetual happiness. She wants to bring all these things to earth. So this is divine love. Impersonal, eternal being this love. Okay. Where is this love to be found? Where is she? People often ask, after 1973, where is the mother? Let's go back, much before 1973 and see where is she. Then we will have the answer of where is she after 1973. Look at this, one of the most powerful, beautiful passages. I feel myself living in the center of everything. Upon the whole earth, and at the same time, it seems to me that I am stretching out immense, infinite arms. Das Bhuja Dharini, Ashtabhuja Devi. You have heard, no? Have you even heard? Abla Kenomayato Bali. Dvitrin Shikoti. And what is she saying? It's her words. Infinite arms. We can have one of her names as Anantabahudharini. It's her own words. Infinite arms and enveloping with a limitless tenderness. You know what is tenderness? When somebody is suffering, the weak feel pity, the strong feel compassion, but love feels tender. Compassion is here. And it heals from there. Pity, oh my God, suffering, you can't do anything. You just suffer with that suffering. But tenderness reaches right there on the spot and caresses and heals. It knows you are suffering. It doesn't shrink away. It goes there and heals you. So this is the tenderness. And what kind of tenderness he is feeling? Limitless tenderness. You may be the worst of human beings in everybody's eyes, but for her, you are her child. You see what Shivinda writes in the mother? Even the Asuras and Pisachas and Rakshas are her children. When I read it, I said, my God, even they, now I understand, thank God all of us have a little bit of Asura inside us. Because life cannot be perfect without it. So there is hope for everybody. Otherwise, that time now you have this idea that I am a very good guy. Why Asuras and Pisachas and Rakshasas? Then you, now you say, thank God. <laughs> Even they are her children. 
So with limitless tenderness, uncalculating, unconditional love, where are we going to find unconditional love? Which human being, which God, goddess can love you unconditionally? Here is the mother. Limitless tenderness. All beings clasped, grouped, nestled upon my breast vaster than the universe. At once, simultaneously, the double realization sees on in all beings and all creation is within her. See the difference between this and Shurabindo's realization of Vasudevam Sarvamiti. In Vasudevam Sarvamiti, which is a supramental experience. This is a supramental experience. Mother herself said it's a supramental experience. Shurabindo sees Vasudeva in everyone, isn't it? Here the mother is seeing herself in everyone and the whole creation within herself. Can we imagine what height and magnitude, what must have transpired when she came and met Shirobindo? Shirobindo would have obviously seen and recognized who is she. She who is carrying the whole creation within her arms, nestling in her breast, is coming to meet the Lord. And what she has seen, he whom we saw yesterday is here upon earth. When you see these two, because it's just a, you know, um, a little more than a month before she would actually be in front of Sri Aurobindo. Now the Divine Mother is carrying the entire creation as if she is carrying it to take it to the Lord. Here it is. Let's do something about it. So here is she describing... Nestled upon my breast, vaster than the universe. People often ask, what is the way of meditation in this yoga? If you tell them, people don't believe it. Sometimes when I write to them, they say, Da, you are trying to make it too simple. Is it really that simple that we can call mother's name? <laughs> I said, actually, you know, it is even simpler. And then you have to quote Sharbindo's letter where Sahanadi tells him that I don't know how to meditate. But all that I do when I sit is that I think, imagine that I am in the mother's lap. And Shubhinda says it's one of the most beautiful forms of meditation. Why? Because this is an eternal truth. It captures an eternal truth that the whole creation is nestling in her heart. Now see what a long way. In 1912 she says, I am nestling in the heart of the Lord. First prayer. And now here, creation is nestling inside her breast. See, you'll see that every time she experiences a little mistake and then what she does, she just nestles in the heart of the divine. And ah, here it is. That every time I then make my action objective um, and I dive into thee and there losing myself with a child's confidence away from thee the inspiration and strength needed to set right the error in me and around me. This is November 2, 1912. Look at the way her, what fire she must be having. What a, not even Agni Kund, Suraj Kund. Within two years, less than two years, isn't it? One and a half years. One year, three months. She has reached a point where now, she is not nestling into the Lord's heart, but the whole creation is in her heart. And then she says, Words are poor and clumsy. O Divine Master, and mental translations are always childish. 
But my aspiration for thee is constant. So what is she aspiring for? People asked her, what is she praying now? And Shurabindra had to explain, she is now aspiring for the earth. <laughs> with all this, she identifies herself with the earth. And now she says, her individual yoga is over. But the yoga for earth and man has to be done. It aspires. And to tell the truth, it is very often thyself and thou alone who livest in this body. An imperfect means of thy manifestation. So she knows that this body has to be now taken to its utmost perfection. Because it is he who is there who is manifesting. And then there is such a beautiful line. May all beings be happy in the peace of thy illumination. So here we have three things. She is not praying only for a few people. She is not a mother of some group of people. This is not a cult. This is not a sect. She never had that. She is the infinite mother of numberless souls. Shubhinda describes her as universal mother of numberless souls. In Savitri, when she asks the boons, four boons, remember? She doesn't say, you know, those who love me, I ask for them. He says, my spirit's liberty I ask for all. Thy magic flowing waters of deep love grant to me for earth and men. Thy oneness, Lord, in many approaching hearts. Thy energy to seize on women and men. So this has always been her, may all beings be happy. And where does happiness come from? In the peace of thy illumination. When there is clarity inside, happiness follows. When there is confusion, there is sorrow and suffering. And what is the utmost ultimate clarity? All is in the Lord and the Lord is in all. And of course, one step further, which she will have in another prayer, that all is the Lord. All he loves, all he moves, all are his, all are he. So, we'll just quickly read this and then it's a beautiful prayer to remember even for the future. Who is she whom we say the mother? Is she the mother of a group of people? Mother of Pondicherry, mother of the ashram, mother of people who believe in her, mother for those who worship her. She is the mother of everyone. You remember that so many stories are there where once a lizard falls upon her and the disciples runs to show her and she says, I am the mother. Cobra, I am the mother. Crow, I am the mother. That spoiled crow. She has not only spoiled human beings. Even the crow... One day, every day, Blackie the crow, he would eat, you know, by calling crow Blackie, see it the way human beings can look at it. Somebody said, oh, why is she calling Blackie? It's a racist term. I said, excuse me, she is actually, it's just the opposite. She has called her crow as Blackie. So Blackie has become now a divine name. I would be happy if somebody called me Blackie. <laughs> because mother has called a crow Blackie. And he would eat every day from mother's hands. You know that, no? And uh, one day, for some reason, the mother was busy or something. She didn't come out. So Champaklalji, I will feed the crow. <laughs> it took the crow. The crow didn't eat. <laughs> this is called Yogi Crow. Have you heard about it? Now you understand Kaak Bhushundi stories. <laughs> Pretty true stories, huh? 
Crow didn't eat. So Champaklal ji goes inside and says, he's not eating. Mother said, okay, okay. She comes out and she gives and the crow eats. It's documented, real story. So even the crow, the plant, the trees, even the piece of mud, clay, earth, all this is she. And this is the consciousness in which we, her children, have to live. That she is everywhere in all beings. So automatically many things will flow from that. You see, if she is in all, can we hurt anyone? Can we be rough to anyone? Can we be crude to anyone? Can we abuse anyone? Can we be angry with anyone? Can we hate and loathe anyone? We don't have to know all these tick boxes. We have to just know she is in all. If she is the goddess inside all, then the only thing we can do with human beings is to <laughs> Jai Ma, Jai Mataji. Because she is in everyone. Is she not? She is herself saying that I am in every creature. And not only in human beings, in bird and beast and plant and mud. So just this experience, if we remember of her, and just only this, our life will change. Just to know she is in everyone. So this ego's way of selecting some people, giving a preferential treatment to some, others are my enemies, some are my friends, some are near to me, dear to me, others are not, will be smashed. Of course you will have special relation with people. That's a different thing. Destiny arranges things and this is the psychic bond which is, this is a very different thing. But you will not hate or loathe anyone, nor be angry with anyone. And that's why people who don't understand the Mahabharata, they say, what is Sri Krishna saying? On one hand he is saying, be equal, don't have hatred, don't have anger. <laughs> then next moment he is telling Arjuna, okay, pick up the bow and shoot your arrows. How is it possible? So it is possible when we know that it is the bodies that are dying. But deep inside, you know that it is the divine who is inhabited. It is the divine who is inhabiting each and every body. And when we do that, we can never have any ill will, any hatred towards anyone. We can only have love because of a presence. Every time we criticize and condemn somebody, in a way we are saying, you know Ma, you haven't done a good job. Correct? You tell a painter, you know this painting is not quite good. So are you passing a comment on the painting or on the painter? When you say this painting is not good, who is the one who takes the buck? The painter. That's why the mother writes, you know, when we go to her room, you want to correct what the creator is doing. <laughs> what do we understand? So all that we should have is a silence, humble silence that we really don't know. And always harbor that love in our heart, which is the sign of the mother's presence. Because she is there in the heart as divine love. The sign that we are in touch, contact with the mother is that we will have love for all creatures. Even somebody who hates us, is angry with us, will have love. Because this presence is there. And she even says that even at the center of Asuras, there is a story where the Tantric Swami who used to come, he ties up the titans, he has done a puja. You know, Tantrics, they tie up Bhut, Preet and um, Asuras. And he's very happy. That I have tied the titans. And he goes and tells the mother, I have tied them, now they can do no harm. So mother laughs, he doesn't say anything. <laughs> Later on she recounts to her disciple, you know, he doesn't understand. Even in the asuras I see the divine love sparkling there. And that's why they too can change. 
She says, she says, I don't understand. I have come to change these guys. If you tie them, you can't change them. They will do path and come to me. All kinds of naughtiness and eventually come to me. And then I will have a chance to change them. So that divine love and in one of our prayers she says, it's because your divine love is shining at the core of every creature that there is hope. Hope is not because somebody is very intelligent, somebody is doing yoga for 30 years or is living in the ashram for 60 years or from how many lives. None of this is hope. Somebody meditates for 8 hours a day. All these things are not the reason for hope. Hope is because divine love is there in everyone. And when this divine love within us openly recognizes the divine love in her, the embodied divine, and simply with faith says, I know you are the divine and I give myself to you. Then she says, it is enough to redeem you. That's all that is required, faith in the embodied divine and the power of love that can redeem the most fallen of creatures. So this is what she is reminding us, but doing it with utter modesty. She is not saying, therefore, O creatures, if you come to me, I have the divine love to change you. She will never say that. There were people who would come and tell, you know, I am going there to, you know, either Tirupati or somewhere. And she would smile and say, okay. So people thought that, you know, she thinks very highly of that. And then she would say, what can I do? If my own children want to. I want to go to Tiruvannamalai to have darshan. Okay. Because she is like that. She, you will never lose her love. And so people took a lot of advantage of that. At one point, there is a very touching reminiscence of Dada. It's there, this uh, little part is there in one of the mother's uh, diary notes where she says, Now I know that my children are grown up and emancipated and I don't have to intervene in their life. All that I have to do is to be there as a silent consciousness intervening from behind, setting right whenever things go to their extreme. So you will see, oh, this is wonderful. But you know what? The experience behind, the story behind, Dada recounts it in his book. So he says, once they went for a picnic or something and they didn't inform the mother, thinking it's a trivial thing, probably just for the seashore swimming nearby. What is there to tell the mother? And mother came to know. And so she wrote this with a lot of pain. They think it's no more necessary to tell me. Are, what will I do? I will not stop you. I will only give you my protection. So she says, now I know that my children have grown up and they are emancipated. Dada says, writes, I felt so bad after reading this diary note. I said, never will I do it again. So to tell her everything, because she is divine love. I just read this last part. Many a time during the day and in the night, It seems to me that I, that is to say, my consciousness is wholly concentrated in my heart, which is no longer an organ, not even a feeling, but the divine love, impersonal, eternal. Being this love, I feel myself living in the center of everything. Another place he will will write, living in the heart of each atom. I kindle there in the fire that never burns out. Upon the whole earth, 
I am living, I feel myself living in the center of everything upon the whole earth. And at the same time, it seems to me that I am stretching out immense, infinite arms and enveloping with a limitless tenderness all beings, clasped, grouped, nestled upon my breast, vaster than the universe. So when Shurabindu wrote in Savitri, Love in her was wider than the universe. The whole world could take refuge in her single heart. 71, when Rabindra Dar said, Mother, what to do? My family has suddenly come. He had left them all. <laughs> what do I do? Where do I accommodate them? Where is some house or something? She says, he, she says my child, I would like everybody to be accommodated in Pondicherry. It's just that my means are limited. Outer means are limited. Later on, of course, the means came and a lot of buildings came up. So, she says that, Words are poor and clumsy. O Divine Master and mental translations are always childish. The experience is much greater than what she is describing. But my aspiration for thee is constant. But my aspiration for thee is constant. And to tell the truth, it is very often thyself and thou alone who livest in this body an imperfect means of thy manifestation. May all beings be happy in the peace of thy illumination and may we all completely give ourselves to her because she alone is, she alone lives and she alone loves. Namaste. Namaste.